Hello and welcome to Ways Women Lead, the podcast where remarkable female leaders share their personal journeys and offer valuable guidance on advancing your career as a woman in leadership. Join host Anna Gramadska and her guests as they delve into various aspects of leadership, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is brought to you by Six Group, a global executive search and leadership advisory firm. Welcome to Ways Women Lead. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, so let me share an introduction uh, to why we're discussing uh, the topics of diversity, equity and inclusion today and, and why your background is particularly interesting uh, to, to explore further, to discuss further uh, from the concept, from the aspect of uh, DEI. Um, so, very diversified uh, career. Uh, currently, you are a senior vice president for software product management at Stellantis. Uh, and for those who don't know, because actually Stellantis, the the company as it is in the form it is right now, it's it's not that well known for for people sometimes, even though uh, it has produced um, some of the world leading brands like Alfa Romeo and Chrysler, Citroen, Fiat, Jeep. Uh, Maserati, Opel, Peugeot. Uh, so, so, so after all these brands, Stellantis uh, is the company behind it. Um, before joining Stellantis, uh, you were leading product management and you were user experience at companies such as Danone, Adidas, and Amazon. Uh, and here we start seeing the diversity of your background, which which has been very interesting. Um, and you spent quite a lot of time at Amazon, actually. Uh, you, you've spent over eight years progressing through roles of increased responsibility. Um, and of course, you're a passionate diversity, equity, and inclusion champion, which is something that we'll uh, delve into uh, in a little bit more detail today. Um, so I'm really excited to have this conversation. Uh, again, thank you very, very much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me and for this amazing introduction. It's, um, yeah, what should I say? It really helps with my imposter syndrome, just listening to all these things <laughs> listed, you know. <laughs> uh, do you know what? You're not the first person who is saying that I've uh, had my previous guest who, who um, reacted with the same comment. They said, wow. I didn't think about all the things that I've achieved until someone has summarized it for me. Uh, I guess I guess uh, maybe uh, the take out of it is that maybe we should take a little bit more time more frequently to reflect on uh, our past achievements. Uh, but I'll let you uh, to tell us more about it. So uh, maybe to kind of warm up to this conversation, uh, what is your leadership story and what have been the key milestones into your leadership journey? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, not to turn it into, uh, let's say, an interview Q&A uh, at, uh, at a job interview, but uh, just to really summarize the key milestones specific to uh, leadership, right? You already mentioned uh, several great companies that I had a privilege to work at. And uh, this is really what uh, helped me a lot uh, from the beginning of my career. I should say I didn't really have a very clear idea of uh, what exactly I want to do and uh, even what exact profession I want to specialize in. Because uh, uh, when I just started, product management was not really a thing. And uh, I was just super curious about uh, technology. I have applied mathematics background, but also I was always very interested in psychology and user experience and actually uh, also in uh, change management. How can you transform the way people uh, behave? Um, and uh, so uh, combining all that, uh, I believe that's really what helped me get to uh, where I am today. But um, I was always very clear about uh, what type of companies I'm actually interested in and I would like to uh, work at. So uh, uh, at the very start of my career, um, actually, 
there was a Volkswagen Group. So now I'm kind of back to automotive, making a full circle, so to say. But uh, yeah, back then it was very different from what I see today in automotive. Different, but still in some aspects the same. And then also uh, Adidas and then also Danone, really all great companies, very international companies that uh, helped me also uh, shape my career and uh, grow as a leader. But uh, probably the biggest impact on my career still came at uh, Amazon, where I truly had this kind of uh, accelerated growth opportunities because Amazon was growing, right? Uh, it was growing tremendously, like uh, 10x, 50x uh, in the years when I was there. And uh, so, of course, that also helped me a lot because uh, then uh, it's much easier, I would say, to get ahead, right? Uh, it's much easier to, let's say, jump on a journey that is already a success journey. Super hard, in my opinion, to get ahead if the company is actually in decline, right? So there will be a lot less opportunities. So with Amazon, I really had uh, had a chance to first observe amazing people and learn from them. Um, Amazon is famous for its leadership principles and uh, the culture there, I would say, is very unique, especially thinking about uh, its scale. Thanks to the leadership principles, they still manage to keep this culture uh, ongoing, even though the company grows uh, so much. And uh, maybe if they didn't have the principles, it would actually be difficult uh, to prevent this culture from diluting, but uh, they managed to still keep it going. And uh, so for me, that was just really the right environment, you know, to, to grow in, to flourish in. And so uh, uh, I came at, uh, I mean, let's say senior professional, maybe uh, lowest management rank. And uh, I managed to get, uh, let's say, to the director level product management position there within eight years, which is when I look back now is pretty fast. But uh, of course, back then, it seemed to me that uh, I was always stalled and it's just so slow and uh, I'm mm -hmm. ready for a lot more responsibility right away. So, But anyways, it worked out and uh, I'm actually very happy that uh, thanks to well, my ambitions, but also thanks to very supporting environment and great managers, great mentors that I had during my years at Amazon, I actually managed to experience a lot of very different departments. Because uh, every time I saw that uh, maybe I reached some kind of a ceiling in my current position, I always got a chance to move to something new. And thanks to that, I also actually uh, saw multiple very different departments of Amazon. Uh, ranging from its uh, seller business and actually B2B tools, and then also to front-end customer experience with uh, building actually customer-facing uh, software products, then moving to Amazon Fashion, very different business unit, completely unique, I would say, at that moment for Amazon. They really didn't have... Uh, well, I shouldn't have, didn't have a clue, but uh, pretty much close to that, how to sell fashion, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's a very specific business and Amazon just uh, went into that head first and I was part of that uh, amazing uh, challenge. So that was, uh, again, very interesting. And then back to, uh, let's say, something a lot more uh, structured and uh, um, something that was not a startup anymore, which was pretty much Amazon fashion startup within a company, but then back to kind of something that is really about the scale of Amazon for international expansions, which was my most recent role before I left the company. So uh, thanks to that, I actually managed to see all these very different types of businesses, very different leadership styles. And uh, that definitely wasn't, it wasn't a walk in the park, right? It was quite, mm -hmm. uh, quite a difficult journey at times, but uh, uh, that definitely helped me tremendously to grow as a leader. And uh, after Amazon, I decided to try something completely new. I really wanted just to change the industry and also uh, change, uh, let's say, um, the type of the type of company. Because uh, as I already said, most of my career was spent in actually uh, big companies, international companies. So I moved then to a scale up because I wanted to see how you can actually help 
a company that was maybe just a, a startup a few years back, but now on this growth journey, how can I help them really get there? Right. And that was also pretty exciting time for me, like uh, when I spent at uh, Kiwi.com. Uh, again, completely different industry, uh, travel technology, but uh, was a was a huge opportunity for me to just experience something again completely new. So you see there is a pattern, right? Uh, I think now that mm -hmm. I'm just reflecting on what I'm saying, I'm, I'm super curious about new stuff, right? I this is what really shaped uh, shaped up my leadership journey it's not that i was specifically you know hunting for promotions or always having my next uh, big step in mind no i was really following my passion most of the time i was following what i was interested in and just uh, looking for some learning opportunities and that's what's uh, what really got me here right so because with every new opportunity you usually really also get a chance to uh, show your strengths and uh, exhibit how fast you can grow and how fast you can scale. And with that, you get increased responsibilities. So my team size also grew pretty much exponential in the last, I would mm -hmm. say, five to seven years from small teams of like three, four people to now an organization of uh, almost uh, 300 people at Stellantis, which is again mm -hmm. kind of a, a great a great step for me um, completely new industry again, automotive. And uh, at this pivotal moment, I would say, in the industry where we observe this amazing transformation when uh, automotive companies are really racing into the future, trying to embrace the digital part of customer experience. And uh, it's amazing to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then so picking up on this, um, so recently I attended uh, this um, conference, fantastic uh, conference in Stuttgart, which I know uh, you were actually invited to be a speaker at, uh, Women in the Automotive, uh, where we had um, many um, representatives of biggest uh, automotive businesses, and the idea was to explore how to drive greater diversity in the automotive industry. Uh, and one of the challenges, uh, as stated there, is that women don't find automotive attractive, uh, which I'm surprised because it is a fascinating industry for me. So maybe to make, to promote kind of the industry to women, uh, <laughs> could you say, so what's your job about? What do you do in your job? What's your objective? What's fascinating about it? Um, what are the fascinating projects that you're part of or working on um, just to kind of help bring, uh, you know, what, what Stellantis and similar companies do into life? It's a very good question. So, uh, first of all, maybe just to the, to the premise, right? Uh, why do some women not find automotive attractive? Mm -hmm. Well, I... I don't want to conceal anything. Automotive is still, let's say, a male-dominated industry. Just looking mm -hmm. at the sheer numbers, that's our reality. Mm -hmm. Every time I walk into an important meeting, let's say executive-level meeting, I'm one of very few women there. That's mm -hmm. just what it is, right? But mm -hmm. uh, that is pretty much the case for most of the uh, tech industry. Right. And uh, overall software industry is not much different. Mm. But uh, the situation is changing. The important part why automotive also realizes that diversity truly matters is actually because we as an industry really need to properly target our changing customer base for a lot of traditional car manufacturers. I'm sad to say that, but their standard customer audience is dying out, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, for a lot of them, the average age of their customers is just um, something in the 60s. Mm -hmm. That's not great. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. uh, they are also uh, looking, like looking at the, let's say, gender diversity of their customers, also pretty much skewed towards uh, men. Mm -hmm. But uh, women drive more and more. This mm -hmm. flexibility of movement is super important. It's getting to be even more important 
uh, in the countries, let's say, outside of our most traditional markets, outside Europe, outside US, women are driving more and more. Young women are driving and they want to be seen. They want to see that uh, the products that are on the market actually meet their needs. Mm -hmm. It is, I would say, hidden. It's not maybe top of mind for a lot of people, but it is there. This tendency is there mm -hmm. and uh, we need to address it. We need to really jump on it to make sure that uh, as a company, as an industry, we actually uh, address this changing trend. And so, mm -hmm. again, big companies, in all fairness, right, um, a lot of things that they do, they do because of profit opportunities, right? Of course, there are mm -hmm. certain things out of the goodness of their hearts, but at the end of the day, it's all about profit opportunities. And mm -hmm. uh, diversity matters right now for profit opportunities as well. So this is a great moment, I would say, for women in the, in the industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, coming back to what... Um, Stellantis is doing in particular, we actually have a very clear targets that uh, were stated at the moment when the company was created, right? As you mentioned, uh, Anna, Stellantis may not be a household name, but actually the brands that we have, they definitely are. So Stellantis is a merger uh, that happened um, almost two years ago, a bit more than two years ago, and uh, it's a merger between multiple car manufacturing brands, right? It's 14 iconic brands that we have in our portfolio. Um, and uh, so when this merger was uh, going forward, uh, we have uh, committed to certain targets, including actually a diversity target. And I'm happy to see that uh, this is truly being executed and uh, that uh, the leadership of the company is absolutely committed to this goal, to this diversity goal. And so, uh, of course, we have some ups and downs. And uh, as you mentioned, sometimes it's uh, probably not uh, the most uh, uh, attractive industry for uh, women and uh, other minority groups. But uh, the situation is changing. Uh, automotive is becoming more and more exciting, more and more high technology driven also software driven and so i'm really glad to see that uh, for instance during the course of this year we had multiple talented and driven women who joined our extended uh, stellantis team so it's really great to observe this trend mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a business critical decision driving greater diversity uh, in the automotive uh, industry. And um, so I'll, I'll go back again to the question. Uh, if you had to sell it, you know, joining your business, joining automotive in general uh, to, to, to a woman, what, what do you find fa most fascinating uh, in your role? I don't know if, how much you can share. Maybe there are some things you cannot share that you're <laughs> working on right now. Uh, but uh, I don't know, an example of a, of a most uh, interesting project you are working on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I would say that uh, overall, what we are doing in uh, uh, software is really exciting mm -hmm. today. So uh, first of all, the journey really ha uh, started with uh, this whole notion of software defined vehicle and also mm -hmm. digital twins. So how do we make sure that uh, when we start uh, building a car, we actually think not hardware, but uh, software first, right? So until recently, uh, software-defined vehicle, it didn't really make any sense because mm -hmm. software mm -hmm. used to be an afterthought. Now it's actually in the forefront. And uh, also everything that uh, is, uh, let's say, happening around the car in the industry, for instance, uh, all the uh, safety mechanisms, all the validations, uh, all those things that uh, used to make car manufacturers have really long lead times, like five years, for instance, from consent to actually vehicle hitting the road. Now, thanks to software, those lead, uh, those cycles are uh, dra dramatically reduced. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is precisely also what, uh, what my team is working on. But um, apart from that, we are actually building a lot of uh, customer-facing uh, software. So uh, when you think about uh, autonomous driving, for instance, this is one mm -hmm. of the exciting parts of, uh, of my job, really just working together with my team, our customers around the globe. Mm 
right? One of the challenges mm -hmm. that um, I'm facing with my team is that uh, we have customers uh, pretty much everywhere, in every segment, in almost every country in the world. And uh, uh, our 14 brands, they really address, let's say, the full demographics, right? So we are thinking from uh, extreme luxury with Maserati to uh, mm -hmm. more affordable options, for instance, uh, with uh, Citroën. But uh, uh, for, for my team, it really has this kind of unique challenge that uh, on the one hand, we really need to think about um, reducing complexity because we don't want our uh, software costs to uh, skyrocket, right? We want to still keep certain options uh, affordable for our customers. And for that, uh, we want to make sure that uh, we actually uh, have certain building blocks that can be reused from one brand to another. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we want to have enough building blocks and we want to have enough customization opportunities so that uh, uh, every specific brand has really an opportunity to shine, to keep kind of sustaining their identity because some of our mm -hmm. brands have been around for more than a hundred years. Like Peugeot, for mm -hmm. instance, just think about it, right? More than a hundred mm -hmm. years. That's pretty much mm -hmm. when the first cars just uh, were invented. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you think about that, um, especially for the uh, autonomous driving, right? There are just so many variances. Also country, country to country, but uh, let's say also big city to uh, countryside. Mm -hmm. I live in a city. So to me, for instance, and to customers similar to me, uh, it's actually very important to also have uh, uh, extra parking features, right? Just think about mm -hmm. uh, last time you had to park in a tight spot. Mm -hmm. uh, so all that kind of uh, camera support, uh, parking support, that is important. So valet parking will be uh, even better, right? And uh, mm -hmm. software can do all that. But uh, you need to be cautious about, uh, you know, the customer segments, what customers would actually need that stuff and uh, which one would not. In the, US, in the U.S., for instance, especially in the countryside, you have ample parking possibilities. You don't really need to worry. You don't need to be a great driver. You will always find somewhere to park. It's totally okay. And if you come to the city, you will actually have... Uh, like real valet parking, not software one, but with a real person who will take mm -hmm. your keys and mm -hmm. just park your car for you. So mm -hmm. um, that's, again, something that um, I find super exciting about my job and super exciting about uh, specifically product management in automotive today, that uh, we get to know our customers much better. We also get to get uh, get to see a lot more uh, signals from them because vehicles today, they are connected. So we actually receive a lot of data about uh, customer behavior, what the cars are doing, what the driver is doing. And uh, thanks to all this data, we can learn um, driving patterns. We can get to know our customers much better. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's um, super exciting to really observe mm -hmm. uh, how the world is changing, how driver behavior is changing, and uh, how from our side we can actually uh, jump on this transformation trend and uh, build products that uh, will meet the needs of our customers also going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, the way you describes, described it right now, I think it goes back to what you said at the beginning, that your role is an in or your career has been an interception of um, technology, psychology, and change management, right? Yes, I think yes. I think you can clearly see that in it's the example that you've spot. just yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they've just uh, uh, talked about. Uh, go back uh, to to what you said earlier about Amazon, um, because you said how uh, successful. The, I mean, clearly it is a very successful company. It has been in all MBA case studies, you know, to be uh, to be uh, explored. Uh, it's, um, I mean. It's it's um, revenue success is, is just uh, you know beyond impressive. Um, but what you said was interesting. How good they are in the fast growth they have achieved to have maintained a strong culture through their leadership principles. Um, what's your biggest learning from that? What would you advise to other leaders uh, when it comes to creating a 
you know, unified culture, because a lot of organizations are trying to do that and are figuring how to do that. All organizations have key leadership principles, but what makes it different between a company that does it successful and a company that doesn't? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, the difference is really simple. The companies that only have their principles written on the wall, mm. no, that's, that's not enough. Mm-hmm right? Mm -hmm. The companies that actually have all their processes and mechanisms that they have to, let's say, sustain those processes, if leadership principles are truly integrated into all these Mm -hmm. processes, the processes are thought through with those leadership principles in mind, all the hiring is also done with all those leadership principles in mind so that people who come in, they also uh, really have those, let's say, ingrained features, or at least they show the interest to learn this type of behaviors, right, that um, you have in, uh, in your leadership principle. Also, all performance appraisals are also done with those leadership principles in mind, so that uh, the way you measure success, it's not just about numbers, it's also about behaviors, behaviors that actually match the culture uh, that you uh, that you preach, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's really all it all it is about because it's not easy. It's super easy to agree on a list of principles and just forget about them, but mm. uh, it's actually hard to keep them in mind, really like top of top of mind every day, especially for the leadership team, and then make sure that uh, you talk about that uh, to mm-hmm. your teams regularly, that when you praise for something you praise in connection to those leadership principles Uh, when you uh, for instance um, maybe like a bad situation right you have to let go uh, somebody for bad performance it's also not just about the numbers it's also maybe about the behaviors that they exhibit that contradict your leadership principles when you Mm -hmm. uh, think about uh, how to um build collaboration between your teams you also build them uh, with regards to leadership principles so for instance right uh, there is this one important uh, principle uh, for amazon uh, disagree and commit and uh, it's not just something written on paper it's something that people really live by every day Uh, if you don't like uh, whatever decision but you were a part of your of this decision you got to say your piece but then the decision still went the other way, you would say, yes, okay, I disagree and commit. And you will actually stick to that. And if you don't, people will mm-hmm. remind you that you mm-hmm. actually already, like you committed. So what's going on? Huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, that stuff is important. Um, and mm-hmm. at Stellantis, we actually, I would say, we are definitely doing a lot of that today, right? Uh, we are thinking about uh, how we also integrate our diversity into our values how we think about uh, working together as a team winning as a team as part of our values because in many cases um, i would say companies similar to stellantis they would uh, suffer a lot uh, from people not talking to each other right the siloed mentality especially after a merger super easy to just stay in your lane and uh, not even try to talk to people on the other side, right? And uh, Stellantis is actively pushing people to actually behave as a team and uh, reminding everybody that uh, only as a team, uh, we would actually be able to win and uh, specifically only as a diverse team. And then we have practical targets, right? So when it comes to hiring, when it comes to uh, uh, also, well, um, I mean, we definitely have meritocracy, but uh, we want to make sure that uh, when we review performance results, we always have a specific conversation about uh, uh, women and uh, minorities. When we think about hiring, we always give a chance and uh, specifically seek out uh, uh, female and minority candidates, right? So at the end of the day, the best candidate will always get hired, irrespective of uh, their gender, nationality and whatnot. But uh, mm-hmm. we need to make sure that women at least uh, uh, get through the door, right? They might uh, not get to the executive floor, 
some of that will still be meritocracy driven, but um, at least we want to make sure that uh, everybody um, truly has a chance. And uh, you can only uh, get there if you actually pay attention to your diversity goals and not just put it uh, as a company value uh, on the wall somewhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so um, we have nicely uh, moved on to the topic of diversity. So I'll uh, progress uh, from 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 that thread. Uh, when we chatted before the recording today, um, you said that in your opinion, companies are still not doing enough uh, for diversity. Uh, so I'm curious to explore a little bit more. Um, what do you think companies should be doing more of? What um, and also. Um, always like to bring a good example as well. So maybe if you want to share um, a couple of examples of particularly impactful initiatives that companies are doing, you've seen doing, and then what do they wrong, do wrong? What do they need to do more of so we can really um, reach goals of diversity? Yeah, that's a great one. And um, I actually have, I would say, a very positive uh, example that uh, comes from still my times at Amazon, where I got a privilege mm -hmm. to work with a leader who was really dedicated to pursuing diversity goals. And so I have a pretty high benchmark, I would say, right? But mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, I do see that in my current position, we are also pursuing multiple initiatives. But uh, I think a lot of companies out there, for them, diversity is a statement but uh, it's not a measurable goal that uh, people truly work towards. And that's a mistake. If you can't measure mm -hmm. something, you will never achieve it. Mm -hmm. So it, it all really starts from the basics, right? You need to get into the rhythm of really understanding what the situation with diversity is at your company. You need to be able to measure it. You need to be able to set clear targets and then measure progress and discuss blockers on a regular mm -hmm. basis. And this needs to come from the top, really. This needs to come from the leadership. And you need to dedicate time to that. You need to have resources assigned to that. So uh, uh, really the best practices that I've observed is uh, mm -hmm. you would actually have specific roles for that, right? You would have uh, diversity and inclusion uh, managers, project managers, leaders who actually have it as their job, their daily job, right? In many companies, diversity is something like uh, like a hobby, right? Uh, there is some organization, some team, and uh, mm -hmm. this team in their free time is uh, trying to put some events together, some mentorship programs and so on, mm -hmm. which is great. It's much better than doing nothing. So those things help. I'm not trying to say that they don't. They matter. They matter a lot. And if you are part of those volunteer mm -hmm. groups, kudos to you right because you do your full-time mm -hmm. job and then on top of that mm -hmm. still kind of uh, you know as part of as part of your employment in that particular company you're actually doing this uh, diversity bit that at the end of the day also benefits the company right it mm -hmm. benefits the company not just you but uh, uh, still it kind of is perceived as something like a volunteer activity which is not true mm -hmm. in my opinion right so that's kind of the summary that uh, I would then uh, put together. When you talk about diversity initiatives, it needs to be measurable. It needs to be supported from the top and it mm -hmm. needs to be resourced. There needs to be budget. Mm -hmm. There needs to be headcount. There need to be mm -hmm. clear objectives and key results. And mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. when there are blockers, again, leadership needs to help resolve them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what have you seen as key obstacles to achieving diversity? The, the, I don't know. Can you pinpoint specific things? Except, of course, um, so we just discussed um, clear goals, measurement, uh, commitment from, from the leadership team and, and, and um, devoting resources to that. Um, I, I speak to a lot of people, you know, and, and uh, a lot of, I think a lot of organizations are doing fantastic work. Um, still there's you know there's still a lot of people a little bit resistant a little bit not believing <laughs> you know a little bit tired of this topic <laughs> and yeah. and i mean the numbers are better uh, but still i think not as good as we would want them to see um ha have you seen particular blockers that you could i don't know um share and 
warn other leaders against, hey, look out for it. This, I've seen this has been really, uh, you know, an obstacle for and, and could be easily solved. I think so. Yes. So, um, first of all, it's, it could be really this, um, you know, wrong understanding of meritocracy. What I'm trying to say here is that, uh, meritocracy definitely matters. And mm -hmm. so you can always argue that, uh, you don't need any kind of, uh, diversity inclusion, uh, targets cream raises to the top. And uh, mm -hmm. if these women are great, they will get uh, to great positions by themselves, right? You don't need to treat mm -hmm. people differently just because of their gender or nationality or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, when you think like that, you ignore a super important factor that the starting conditions are different, right? This is mm -hmm. when we go back to diversity, equity, and inclusion right? You actually need to create a level playing field for people. Mm -hmm. And the playing field is not leveled. I mean, let's be honest, right? Management at your company is male, maybe white, maybe straight. Mm. They will have certain biases, unconscious biases. We all have them, mm -hmm. which means that again, unconsciously, they will support the careers of people that are like them. So again, the, the playing field is not leveled. When you think that uh, uh, meritocracy is really just making everything completely blind in terms of hiring, in terms of promotions, then you will actually have to create the conditions that uh, would enable this level playing field. In corporate life, it's very difficult. If we remember that uh, experiment uh, with um, with symphonic orchestras, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when at some point um, in the 20th century, it was noticed that uh, there are just uh, not enough women and uh, mm -hmm. everybody was just saying, yeah, but that's normal. Women are probably not uh, such great mu musicians as men. And then they had mm -hmm. blind auditions, right? Blind mm -hmm. auditions. Again, in the orchestra, it's possible to do that. I don't think you can have blind auditions when you're selected for a management position in the corporation, mm. but okay. So, and mm. as a result of those blind auditions, it was immediately clear that the number of women who were, that were selected for the orchestras, the best orchestras in the world, it just increased dramatically right mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. So all these people who thought that they are judging in the auditions based on merits only, they were actually mm -hmm. wrong because they ignored their own mm -hmm. unconscious biases. Mm -hmm. So this is mm -hmm. one, one, uh, one super important policy that I would like to warn everybody against. Mm -hmm. It's not that uh, we are like, you know, bad people or anything that we consciously want to um, diminish a certain segment of uh, society or certain segment of our mm -hmm. uh, employees. But this comes unconsciously. Sometimes it comes from the system that uh, we have. and. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, as long as we don't measure things, don't set up clear goals to change the situation, nothing will change in the system and nothing will change with our unconscious bias. Mm. Very nicely said. Yeah. And there's another study that um, uh, it, there was a written um, career history and experience of a person, of a leader, what they did, how they behaved, how they spoke to people. And one group of um, of respondents um, read that um, with the name of that person being male, and the other group of respondents read that with the name of that person described person being female. And when viewing the male, he was described as um, charismatic, strong, trustworthy, good leader, and the group that got exactly same description but with the name being female described her as aggressive too demanding um you know not trustworthy so and this just demonstrate the biases that that same behavior if if a man demonstrated we view it as as good leadership behavior and that same behavior that woman demonstrates we we don't view it that way we view it negatively and so then talking about the level playing field as a woman noticing that unconsciously you 
you might, you know, be prone to changing your behavior, to changing the way, um, you know, the way you speak to people, the way you behave, the way you manage, the way you lead. That already puts you a little bit at the at the lower level because as a man, you walked into the room, you don't have to do much. You, don't, you just do your job technically well and that's it. And you perceived immediately as a better leader. As a woman, not only you have to do a good job technically, but you also have to think about how you come across. You have to think about it way more than a man would have to think about it, not to be viewed negatively for doing exactly the same things. And I personally, I never thought that was the case. I never liked to talk about uh, things like that, saying that I'm at a worse position because I'm a woman, but studies show that over and over and over again. And that's what I'm discussing always with people. Hey, I, it's really difficult to objectively for me say that that's the case without sounding that I want a privileged um, treatment. I don't. But if studies show that over and over and over again, well, there is something about that. And that coupled with the numbers, maybe we should look into that. That's, that's, that's always my you know, view on this. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, as you said, it's actually very difficult uh, to to notice about yourself um, because those things happen kind of slowly that you adapt more and more behaviors that are actually not authentic to you. But uh, then it means that you are, well, first of all, you are not even becoming somewhere else, but you are behaving as someone else. And that means that uh, First of all, there is a huge extra mental load that you have to carry, right? So just the extra workload that you mentioned. But uh, also you are probably a worse leader as a result of that because you're just not mm. authentic enough. Yeah, you're not uh, mm. true to yourself. And mm. uh, I just have this uh, small example, a uh, recent example that uh, was kind of eye-opening uh, for me and uh, goes along the same lines. How do we change our behaviors to fit in uh, better? So um, I didn't even realize that, uh, but uh, my vocal coach pointed out to me that uh, I speak in a much lower register in professional situations Mm. versus how I speak at home with friends, with my husband. Mm-hmm. And that actually damages my voice, you know, that is, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is mm-hmm. not great for my health even because mm-hmm. uh, it seems to be a small thing. And actually a lot of women do that because uh, mm-hmm. um, apparently somebody told us, I don't know if that's true, that uh, uh, men listen better when you speak mm-hmm. in a lower register. Because otherwise mm-hmm. it's kind of too too abrasive, too high pitch, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they say, right? And uh, I actually mm-hmm. even I think had it uh, said to me in some uh, female leadership training some years ago, mm-hmm. and apparently mm-hmm. it stuck mm-hmm. with me. Apparently I'm doing that completely subconsciously. Mm-hmm. I don't even notice it anymore, but it mm-hmm. actually damages my voice. It makes mm-hmm. me get uh, tired much faster. And, uh, you know, with the amount of meetings that uh, I have all day mm-hmm. in uh, in my position, I have to speak like 10 hours a day, right, in a row, mm-hmm. in meetings. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, by the end of the day, I can't really talk at all. Mm-hmm. But it's happening because mm-hmm. I'm not authentic. Mm-hmm. I'm actually modifying mm-hmm. uh, the register of my voice to uh, fit in better. Mm-hmm. kind of horrible when you think about that yeah yeah it's interesting to hear that my, my previous guest actually told me she was told by someone that her voice is too high-pitched which I, I mean i have no comments to that but it's interesting that you're saying that because again how to demonstrate that to people so they take it seriously because sometimes it might come across as Mm, you know complaining maybe I think about things that aren't relevant but if for example your voice coach says it, it is damaging uh your voice uh change you know changing the tone um or lowering the tone throughout 10 hours a day of of meetings it just shows that you know little things like this one after another put so much more emotional weight on you versus someone who just doesn't have to and have never had to think about it um, and again, it's 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 nobody's fault. It's generations of of um, uh, you know 
upbringing and, and the and, and, and stereotypes and images we've been uh, growing up with. Uh, but the point is, we should be talking about it because these things are real. Um, uh, do we have time for one last question? Yes, absolutely. And uh, just let me jump in here with one quick comment. Mm -hmm. uh, when you said, mm -hmm. uh, like, it's not uh, it's not anybody's fault in particular. It's really mm -hmm. the system that was created over mm -hmm. generations. At at some point in the mm -hmm. past, that system probably worked. Uh, it just doesn't mm -hmm. anymore. And um, again, just wanted to mention one interesting fact. Uh, you know, even let's say the best people around us. Uh, for, for sometimes they they just don't even realize uh, how uh, broken uh, the system is towards women and minorities. There is a great book that uh, talks a lot about it. It's called Invisible Women, and I highly mm -hmm. recommend uh, everybody to read that because uh, it's full of facts, statistics. Mm -hmm. It's super objective, and it just shows a pretty drastic picture so everybody who read it uh, male female doesn't matter but uh, they just can't uh, ignore those issues anymore mm -hmm. and this mm -hmm. is really in my opinion the way uh, to to get ahead and uh, to keep improving the situation step by mm -hmm. step first just bring awareness mm -hmm. and with awareness you will uh, hopefully uh, constantly check yourself and uh, remove the biases that you might have as well awareness is the first step to everything isn't it and uh, thank you for the recommendation we'll uh we'll we'll put a link uh when when you put the podcast out uh to, to the book definitely worth worth a read um and i'll finish with a final question um previously um when we talked you said that um you have a lot of women reaching out to you because they see you as a role model um they're asking you for advice uh, so i'm curious to know um what what are the typical things they are asking you for? What do they need um, help with? And how do you support maybe and mentor these aspiring female leaders? Yeah, so uh, the typical things are really, I would say maybe two categories, right? Uh, one is completely, let's say, agnostic of the fact that they're women they're just interested in growing their careers and uh, rightfully so and sometimes they come to me because uh, they don't really have enough of a support system they they don't have a supporting manager maybe the career ladder in their company is not entirely clear which is still unfortunately the case in many companies and so they simply just they don't understand uh, like what are the rules of the game how do i play this game if i'm in a corporate environment and i want to get ahead how do i even do that where do i even start and uh, quite frankly the rules are i would say pretty simple there are many articles uh, already written about it uh, linkedin is full of great influencers that uh, can help you but uh, of course sometimes uh, just uh, talking to someone who let's say, did this in the past uh, can help a lot. So that's, I would say, the first category of, um, of questions. And uh, a simple answer there is uh, uh, really just do some more research, understand better uh, what could be like different uh, career ladders and what is the career ladder in your company? What are the rules to actually um, practically get uh, promoted? What are the networking opportunities uh, to get to know about uh, maybe some positions where you can move laterally or some project uh, projects that you can pick up to, let's say, boost your profile, stuff like that, right? So uh, it's really not uh, not rocket science, but uh, you, need to, you need to know that they, those things, they're not super intuitive, right? And then um, I would say second category of questions is really more specific towards uh, maybe female leadership, right? And uh, it goes back to what we just discussed. So let's say I'm I'm an aspiring female leader or I just have my first leadership position and uh, I work in a male-dominated environment and uh, I don't really know how to navigate it. Or maybe I have an idea how to navigate it, but it feels like I will be 
betraying my true self if I do that because uh, it feels like I'm pushed into this kind of uh, super uh, standard uh, behavior that uh, all the guys around me are exhibiting and I don't want to do that because I want to stay authentic but I don't really have any uh, female role models around me that uh, would actually be authentic women uh, and connected to also their uh, emotional um, part but uh, still they remain strong leaders a lot of a lot of women that come uh, come to me for advice they don't have these role models and i know that it's hard mm -hmm. i also didn't have too many of them um let's say 10 years 15 years back but uh, we see more and more and more of them now which is great right uh, i follow some of the amazing women who are role model for me on uh, linkedin uh, we see some of them also around us uh, in leadership positions uh, in big companies and uh, that is that is truly great this is inspiring mm -hmm. but uh, still i think this is why the institution of mentorship is so critical that uh, you actually mm -hmm. get to come to somebody and ask for advice and uh, you can just have a human conversation Yes, yes, um, yeah, and um, thank you very much for this. It's uh, uh, thank you for the whole conversation. It's been very, very, very interesting. I'll I'll finish on that. Um, it's been, um, I mean, your story is very fascinating. Uh, I, I imagine you had a lot of fun as well. Uh, it's it's <laughs> absolutely exciting experience you've had. You've had, and thank you so much for um, you know for your insights. It's uh, inspiring to see that you're such a proactive advocate for uh, DEI. Uh, so it was a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's it for this month's Ways Women Lead episode. But there is plenty more insightful and actionable advice from where this podcast came from. Check out our website on www.6-group.com. If you'd like to know more about how to build and develop diverse, inclusive and effective leadership teams and how to progress your career as a leader. See you next time.